for all of us sitting here tonight. We're about to phase a phase of transition. Many of us are moving out of silence, of the retreat form. And a few of us are going to begin a period of intensive practice with Pauxido. Therefore, in one form or another, there is movement. There's a new discovery, a new journey that we are going to embark on. Offering, again, different opportunities for living the teachings. And I'd like to say that the topic tonight has been chosen by some of you for and has kind of been imposed on me after hearing some of you in the interviews. Wondering about the challenging moment of how are we going to relate to the movements of the mind, to the thoughts, to the mental activity that clearly is coming forward more and more for many of us just by the simple fact of needing to move on and planning comes. So already we can sense that moving out of the stillness and just the idea that this is going to happen brings some kind of change manifestation in relationship to ourself. Do we need to struggle about our thoughts? Is the battle worthwhile? And if we do have a sense of battle within, who wins? Most often we find ourselves in greater suffering when we establish a kind of relationship of willpower or force with our minds and to ourselves. And so it's helpful to just pause for a moment and wonder for ourselves how can we relate to thoughts in a wise way where there isn't a sense of battle. Thinking can so often feel like a burden in the mind and bring so much heaviness. And in our endeavor to meditate, often the aim is to have peace, to feel a sense of stillness in our mind, in our hearts. And yet to have a quiet mind is not all there is. We can sense that we calm the chatter and we practice to find some peace. And if that is all that there is to this practice, then clearly we haven't understood the fullness of what can be seen. The battlefield is often emerging from the sense of me, the observer, or we can say the meditator, who is trying to meditate, to focus the mind on some specific area. And therefore, everything else becomes a burden It's important to find some steadiness, some stable stability. Yet, is it needed that to find that stability, there needs to be an end to thinking? 
I think we tend to forget that in all these years that we have gone through education in one way or another, we have trained our minds, we have had the luck to be able to train our minds to work, to think, to have judgments, to figure out things, to solve problems, to even create concepts, and to have views about things, ideas. In the ordinary world, the more we think, in a way, the greater the praise for our ability to do good thinking. And so I think it's really important to put this into perspective and to remember that what we are asked to do is not to shut down the mind in any way. Not because we are suddenly a meditator that we should suppress the thoughts and that if thoughts do appear in the mind, then we are no good. And I think that often the point is misunderstood when we come to practice. And even for many, many years, there's this sense of there shouldn't be any movement in the mind. Therefore, the tendency still remains, even unconsciously, that in practice, if we do observe the thoughts, are aware of the mind, the thinking mind, it's for it to stop, for the thoughts to disappear. Just because we want some peace, some quiet. Utejaniya, the Burmese teacher that Miyoshin and I went to practice with in Burma, this last January, says this. He says, when the mind is thinking or wandering, when a thought keeps catching your attention, just be aware of it. Thinking is just the natural activity of the mind. It is natural that if you have good hearing, you will hear sounds. Therefore, you are doing well when you're hearing. And if you are aware that the mind is thinking, you are also doing well. This is the correct attitude. He says it's a true insight when you realize that there is nothing to change. Now, if you feel disturbed by thoughts or sounds, or if you have a reaction or judgment to them, then there is a problem with your attitude. The wandering mind is not the problem. Your attitude that they should not be around is the problem. So to understand this is really of extreme importance. And I think that we need to hear it over and over again because the immediacy of our way of relating to what is happening is to get rid of the object that is in the way rather than establishing a relationship that helps us understand how to relate to the object. Therefore, thinking is not the problem. It's really a natural function of the mind. In the same way that the eyes are able to see and the ears can hear, the tongue tastes, the body feels, these are their functions, the mind thinks. It's its function to think. And it's so 
incredibly helpful when we can let that truth in. So the burden is in the reaction towards the thoughts. And the reaction is one that we can truly see as clearly as we can see the thoughts or the breath or bodily sensations. The reaction is often one of aversion, which is clearly something that can be seen for what it is, and therefore we do not need for the thoughts to disappear in any way. In one of my retreats with Saito Pandita, he asked me why I was meditating. This was early on in my practice. And he said, well, for what purpose? Why are you here? <laughs> I said, well, I'm suffering so much from my mind that thinks all the time. And he said, well, it's not about stopping your mind from thinking. He says, please understand this. You're not here to stop your thoughts. You are here to understand your mind. And it was so simply said, yet it really brought a huge insight because I had not noticed that I had been given the task to be with the breath. Clearly, this was the primary anchor. And every time that something else was emerging in the field of awareness, to my mind, I had understood that it was something to be rid of. And I think that Understanding was just so important in the immediacy of the experience. There was a huge insight that appeared. And often, for most of us, we really need to hear this over and over again. Because, yes, we establish a certain stillness being on retreat and specifically in a place like this where there is not much of a burden that is in the environment. And therefore, it's so fascinating to see how highlighted the mind, our own inner environment, can become manifest in a stillness and in the silence of this place. And because there is about to be some movement of one sort or another, suddenly planning comes. And we notice that that may be a hindrance, a problem for us. So in one way or another, it's extremely revealing when we sense from the inside that it's okay, that the mind thinks and it's its function. When I began to look and to really be aware of what I could understand from my mind after Saito Pandita's advice, I could really sense that many thoughts, if not all of them, were about me were really self-referencing in one way or another. There was this self that was manifesting. Every time that a thought would appear. And not only was there one thread of thought, but there was the commentator that would comment just behind another little voice that would appear, which I had not often noticed in the everyday 
life that was kind of judging the first thread of thought. And so here I was with a dialogue, an inner dialogue that was mostly concerned about me. And from that point on, I really sensed the pain that emerged from the mind that was endlessly manifesting something or another that was happening. Vevuve says, why are you so unhappy? He says, because 99% of everything you do and think is for yourself. And when you see that there isn't one, there clearly is less pain. The process begins when there's a great dedication that can be given and that we can work on liberating this mind from its entrancement and purify it from all the different aspects and obstructions and hindrances that come from this false sense of self. Now, what allows us to see this is clearly awareness. Awareness is the purifying factor that allows us to see through the veils. We lift the veil each moment that we connect truly seeing what is just a thought as a thought, not to push it away, not to get rid of it, but just to see it for what it is. From that space of awareness, this is possible. And when we see and can meet ourselves in a way that we don't need to act out our thoughts, then they're is clearly the possibility of purifying not only our thoughts and our inner world, but we can also purify our speech and our actions. The Buddha says very clearly, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you. So it's so clear that when we begin to see for ourselves that we can choose to live skillfully in a way that we will know the causes that will lead to happiness and we will know the causes that lead to more suffering. Then we can help ourselves to greater happiness, the happiness of really manifesting skillful actions and speech. Now, does this mean that we do not meet the impurities in the mind? No, quite the contrary. I think we need to see so clearly the impurities and the obstructions to allow the whole of the impurities and the obstructions, the obstacle or the hindrances to manifest so clearly that we see what is hidden, that we see what we shut down, that we see what we think or what we find as being ugly, rather than pretend that there isn't the shadow within ourselves. But 
we need to meet all of these states in awareness. And that is exactly the difference between wisdom and confusion. If there's awareness, then clearly there's a skillfulness in our seeing and in our meeting. If there isn't awareness, if there's confusion, that that will lead just for more pain and for more struggle because we'll get lost in the process of seeing. And clearly, so the clarity comes from being able to see what is without interference. A yogi not so long ago just said to me in an interview, said, you know, all that I see in my mind is garbage, just pure garbage. How can this be leading anywhere? Do I need to see this? And it's important to ask ourselves that question. Is it really useful to see what she called the garbage? And I said, well, what you are meeting here can be liberated. Now, clearly, these are passing states. The difference in the wisdom or the confusion here is to notice the purity of intention with which the mind is meeting the different experiences. If there's a purity of intention to just know experience, thoughts for what they are, without being affected. And that means that they are not fed by aversion, for example, and that we do not get lost in them because we want to push them away, that we stay aware, then clearly this is a purity of intention that leads one to more wisdom and more clarity. Now, of course, she said, but I don't like seeing the garbage. I don't like meeting my garbage. That's exactly where the purity of intention is distorted. Because as soon as there is liking or disliking, this is exactly when the mindfulness is not pure, but the mindfulness is accompanied by greed or by aversion. And therefore, this is what needs to be seen. It's the resistance, the reaction, the relationship of not liking that needs to be so clearly seen, which is another thought, just another thought in the mind. But we don't hide from that relationship of not liking. And often this is what happens when the mindfulness It's not free from greed, hatred, or delusion. This happens when we truly stay present in whatever experience that arises, we are allowing ourselves to see the process. Without needing to feed the thoughts. This is from Tenzing Palmo. She says, when we rush in with this mental chatter, we are no longer being mindful. 
We're just thinking about being mindful. Mindfulness is not thinking about. It is being present and actually knowing in the moment without any mental commentary. If commentary begins to happen, we simply ignore it and return to being present in the moment. Think about this. There are so many things happening in our lives that we never really experience. We experience only ideas, interpretations, and comparisons. We dwell on things that happened in the past or anticipate future events. But we never or almost never experience the moment itself. It is for this reason that we often find our lives boring and meaningless. What we need to realize is that this sense of meaninglessness does not at all come from our lives, but from the quality of awareness with which we live our lives. So we work on the quality of our awareness. And when we are faced with something that adds, that compares with, that evaluates, that feeds the story. From the space of awareness, when being fully present, we'll see clearly what is happening to the thoughts. Often thoughts, when they're seen just for what they, they are, What do we notice? What happens when we really look in a way that is not distorted? For a while, empty space or gap or freedom from the story, whatever you want to name this. And it's clearly not easy to put words, concepts, on something that is non-conceptual. This is the direct experience beyond concepts. Absence of thoughts. Yet, presence of awareness. Knowing is happening in that moment. Even though there isn't a thought, there's an awareness. And often, there's a confusion. The nature of mind can be moving, and if it's moving, thoughts are present. The nature of mind can be still. If it's still, there simply is absence of thoughts. It doesn't interrupt awareness. It only interrupts the movement of the mind. And often we do experience these moments of stillness, yet we do not need to grab onto them. The very wanting to keep that experience is feeding the story about greed, about wanting something else than what is happening. So seeing this process of nature of awareness just manifesting itself and not being affected by presence or absence of thoughts, then clearly thoughts can much more easily come and go and just be part of the field of awareness, just like sounds are, present and go. And they're not something that we need to battle with, 
there needs to be a struggle about. The identification there is just less difficult. It's less of a problem in one way or another. Master Dogen says, coming, going. The water birds don't leave a trace, don't follow a path. So that's in the sky. Coming, going. The thoughts don't leave a trace, don't follow a path. That's in our mind, in the nature of mind. Where is the thought that you had five minutes ago? Does it leave a trace? The moment there's awareness and clarity in the seeing, we can directly see that there is no trace in the mind that is left. So how can we manifest this more and more clearly for ourselves? I think that in long, intensive retreat, we are able to be so intimate with ourselves, so connected, that we realize experientially that there's a way that by non-interfering, not getting involved in the thoughts, just staying fully aware, knowing what is present when it's present, without needing to do anything to move away from or to get involved in, then the manifestations of mind are no longer a problem for us. And this is clearly something that we experience, but that we can carry on with us in our daily lives. Of course, the rhythm of life is very rapid, much more quick. So it will be probably a little more difficult. There's interaction with another being. Yet that capacity of awareness is as full as the one that is present here in this room. And that we need to trust. And to remind ourselves to really reflect when we've lost our connection, that it's available the moment that there's that connection. Now, it's much more difficult because we don't even realize that we are interfering. And so how does interference happen? Well, one thought aligned to another thought another thought forms a story. And clearly, we are fascinated by the stories that we create for ourselves. And that's how the stories that we identify with are causes for us to really believe in them. It's just not the story. If it were, if it was the story, and just a story that we would open a book and close it, it wouldn't have so much effect on ourselves. But because it is my story, ours, then it really creates a sense of reality. And here when we practice, we can see so clearly that the story of my mind is no, has no more reality than the story that I've been 
reading in a book. Now, so many ideas about who I am, a belief that I create in the mind, born of all the stories that are just created. And it can be a happy story. It can be an unpleasant. It can be a fearful story. It can be any kind, very sad. Whatever it is, it creates this I because there's identification to the words. It's so interesting when you do notice what kind of thoughts come up. And how does it color the mind? Pleasant thoughts? Oh, I become pleased. Sad thoughts? I become sad. Happy thoughts, I becomes happy. And so the I takes so many forms, just depending on the thought and the mind state that is present. And it can change so quickly. What is the reality of that formation of mind? And yet it has so much power. Now, this is a great cause of suffering for us because of what we can see that they do, not in the fact that only we are only <clears throat> interested in them, excuse me, but we believe in the story that we create. And the stronger the belief in the story, the stronger the attachment and the stronger the pain. Now, how is it that we can let go? How do we allow not to push away, not to get rid of, but just to be able at times to let go, to just abandon the formation I think it's important to notice that often, almost all the time, there's an underlying emotion that is present. And that feeds the story, that feeds the words. We stay busy on one level, on the surface, and something else is happening underneath. I know that I saw for myself in one specific retreat how persistent one specific story was. And I was really trying to relate to it the best I could, yet relating to it at the level of the words. Not really connecting with the intensity of the energy that was present, And the energy was really strong. And noticing that there was anxiety and fear already enabled a new light that was enabling a greater space and an ability to move from that space of contraction to some greater sense of openness. And to see how self was manifesting again and again through the fear, the panic, the anxiety that was present. And what awareness saw so clearly was that I, the me, was afraid of letting go of the story because it realized that if it was letting go of the story, there would be a loss of sense of self. And that 
would mean moving into the unknown, into unfamiliar territory. That's exactly where we meet our edge, where there's a sense of clarity of being able to just allow what is or to grasp and to cling on the story to stay safe. Of course, that place of safety is not a true place of safety. But it keeps, at least it kept my practice, from deepening until I really saw the fullness of that reality of meeting the emotion that was underneath and to connect truly with what was instead of reinforcing the pattern of habit. Manifesting again and again a way of distracting myself from what was lying underneath. And so there are many ways that we can reinforce our habitual patterns. And there are many ways that we can create that sense of self for ourselves. The ego construction is often born out of the stories, the thoughts that we create for ourselves. Now, this is the way that conditioning happens. It's just the way of habit. And when we notice the force of the habit, then it's possible to just open. And I can assure you that that openness was not a huge one. It was just a millimeter of allowing some space to what was already present, which, was, which I was hiding from. That requires a sincerity, an honesty in our relationship to the whole of our experience, looking at the process just as it is in the moment, letting awareness just be present in the moment without needing to change anything, without holding on, without grabbing to the known, without pushing the dislike when there's an emotion that is painful, just to stay aligned with what is Utejaniya again says, when a thought keeps growing, no matter how much effort you put in, no matter how much effort you put into trying to simply observe it, you are probably somehow involved in the thought. When this happens, when thinking becomes incessant, so incessant that you can no longer be with it. Stop looking at the thoughts and watch the underlying feeling instead. Watch the emotion. Noticing the resistance, noticing what feeds the emotion. in relationship to the thoughts. These reactions are totally normal. And here again, there's a relationship that we can condemn them, or we can prevent ourselves from really meeting what it is. In this process, there are no shoulds or shunts. And if that happens, then meet Meet the thought, meet 
the moment when should is emerging. Now, is it possible to live fully in the present moment? That we can meet every single experience just as it is, without getting involved and without pushing away. From the perspective of meditation, this is wisdom. It's mindfulness with wisdom, understanding so clearly that each moment, each experience is unique. Each breath is just a unique breath. Each thought is a unique thought. Each sensation is just unique. And that if we don't compare it to the previous thought or the previous breath, then we allow mindfulness to leave things just as they are and abide seeing in wisdom. The force of becoming, the habit of becoming of the wanting mind that often rules the mind just doesn't have any more power. It fades away when the force of awareness emerges. Again, a meditation teacher says, if you follow or get lost in any thought or mind state and let your mind wander outwardly, your work is in error and you are not different from an ordinary person. Turn your attention right in and look right at your mind. When you look at it, nothing is seen. Relax. Let everything be and rest in that state. No matter how many thoughts are there, when they aren't grasped, they go freely on their own and become a part of awareness. letting everything be and rest in that state, relaxing, no matter how many thoughts there are. When they aren't grasped, they go freely on their own and become awareness. to close with a poem from a yogi. I received a poem not long ago from a yogi at the end of the retreat. And this yogi wrote the following words. A place where thoughts. A place where thoughts are hollow echoes that collapse as they are born. Where storms have ceased, at least for now where mind runs down and stills to space as when the power fails in a winter storm, snow whispering upon the window pane. Then silence blooms, replete with inner sound as those within in a seashell, Kuan Yin listening. Here, all is broad and gentle and informed by love. This wide and empty space is not some other space. This wide and empty space is not some other place. It is our very home, but no one home. Let's sit for just a few minutes.
all the good energies, the work that has been done here, be dedicated to the welfare and the happiness of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.